We are going to continue our discussion on the Antichrist. We started um, early this month on the Apocalypse. We've talked about the judgments that will be happening during the tribulation. We've talked about the rapture, right? And um, we started talking about the Antichrist last week. So we'll pick it up from where we left off. Are we good to continue? Okay. So last week we were looking at how or who the Antichrist will be like. How, how is he going to be like? And we said he'll be one of the most powerful and popular leaders the world has ever known. Okay. And why? Because he's going to be a very brilliant um, leader, very smart leader. He's going to be an intellectual genius, a genius. I always say that word funny. Okay. Thank you. Oh, there's no envelope to put it all in. Huh? Okay. Thank you. We'll just give it to the folks there. That's fine. So how do you say genius? Genius. He's going to be an intellectual genius. He's going to be very smart. And I remember telling you guys, think of any smart person in the world. Right? So like Einstein, who else? Which other smart people? Like Judah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> who else? What other smart people do you know? Who? Pythagoras. Pythagoras. Right? A whole lot of smart people. Now think of all of them. All their brains merged together into one man. One man's brain. That's how smart the Antichrist is going to be like. Okay? Judah's brain won't be part of that merge. Because it's going to be the Antichrist's brain. Anyway, so he's also going to be someone who can speak very well. He will know how to speak, to convince people. Amen? Now, that is how the Antichrist is going to deceive the whole world. Because people are just going to be amazed at how he speaks. He will convince them on many things that people previously would never have bought into, but because of how he speaks, they will just yield to him. He is also going to be a political genius, very strong politician, able to rally nations behind him. He will be able to convince most, if not all, the world leaders to support him in a matter of few days or months. He is going to be excellent when it comes to politics. And all of this is seen in the scriptures that are over there. And then the other big thing about him is he's going to be an economical genius. He will know exactly how to bring back the economy from where it will fall. Because remember, when the rapture happens, there's going to be chaos. A whole lot of things are going to fall down. The market is going to just go down. But the Antichrist is going to be a smart person 
to know how to rearrange things and restore the economy back into shape. And all of that will let people believe in him. Amen. Now, he's also going to be a military genius. And why is that? Because there are going to be some nations or some people that will not necessarily support him. But the Antichrist will be so skilled in rallying the armies of the other nations that support him to conquer other nations that don't support him. Okay? So he's going to be a really smart military man. And lastly, he's also going to be a religious genius. And that is because he's going to be worshipped as God. And you have to really be smart when it comes to religion to be able to get the whole world to worship you as God. He's going to have his own personal um, false prophet who is going to convince the whole world with signs and wonders that, look, this is God. And they're going to worship him. There's going to be a one world religion that the Antichrist will be the one being the focus of that religion. It takes some extraordinary ability to be able to convince the whole world to worship you. you get him? You follow me, right? So that's how the Antichrist is going to be like. Now, the question is, people have asked, who is he going to be or what kind of person is he? Where is he going to come from? I think that's the question you guys have been asking me. Which nationality is he going to be from? Who is he going to be? So the question is, will he be a Jew or a Gentile? Who knows who a Gentile is? Someone who is not a Jew, right? So is he going to be a Jew or a Gentile? What do you think? Gentile. Gentile. Why? Because Matt. Because what? Huh? Why is he going to be a Gentile? Because Matt. There's like a lot of people out there. There's a lot of people who are Gentiles. Yeah. Than there are Jews. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes, Belinda? Because he's going to destroy the Jews, so it doesn't make sense that he destroyed his own Ah, he's going to destroy Jews. So it doesn't make sense that he will destroy his own people. Excellent. What do you think, Vanessa? You have no idea. No idea. Is he going to be Jew or Gentile? Let's see. The origin of the Antichrist is symbolically described in Revelation as a beast rising out of the sea. Right? And in the book of Revelation, sea is a symbol that is mainly used to describe the nations. Okay, so if you see in Revelation 17, 15, it says the waters which you saw are peoples and multitudes and nations and, and tongues. You know, God speaks symbolically. So sometimes when you have a dream, what you see in your dream, it's not necessarily literal because he uses symbols to represent certain things. Okay, and so in the vision that John was seen that made up the book of Revelation. Some of the things there were literal, but some of them were also symbolical. When he says, I saw a beast rise out of the nations, he's actually, or right out of the sea, he's actually saying the beast rose out of the nations, multitudes of people and tongues. Now that almost sounds opposite to someone rising out of the nation of Israel. Because in the language of the Bible, the nations tribes, tongues, is referring to people of the whole world, not just a particular group of people. Following? And so the Antichrist, he's also presented in Scripture 
as the final ruler of the Gentile world. You know, in Daniel, he talks about, um, actually not in Daniel, in Luke, he talks about he ruling until the time of the Gentile is full. And the times of the Gentiles really is the time between when Jesus came and when the rapture, um, the, the, sorry, the tribulation ends, when the second coming of Christ comes. So between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, that period is considered to be the times of the Gentiles. Right? And his reign, the reign of the Antichrist, marks the final phase of that times of the Gentiles because it will end right after the Antichrist has come into power. Now, if you think of it, if that is the case, then the Antichrist is not likely to be a Jew because the Bible actually does not teach that Jews will think of the Antichrist as the Messiah. Why doesn't the Bible say that? Because the Jew will never accept a Gentile as their Messiah. They expect the Messiah to be a Jew, right? And so if they will accept somebody as their Messiah, it has to be somebody who is a Jew, but the Antichrist is not a Jew, and so it's not likely that the Jewish community will accept him as the Messiah. They will not put their trust in him as their Messiah. Now, as to what Belinda said, majority of what the Antichrist will be doing will be attacking the Jews, be killing them. And it doesn't make sense that a Jew will be killing his own people. And that's why we believe the Antichrist is not likely to be a Jew. Now, the next question that we want to look at is, will he be Satan incarnate? Will the Antichrist be Satan incarnate? What do you think? Will he be a human being or will he be Satan's incarnate? Will he be like some evil, supernatural person who is not a normal human being? No. No? Why do you say that? Because that's not what I told you guys. Okay. So yeah, he will... It is possible that the Antichrist will have a supernatural origin. Supernatural origin, right? But it's better to view him as a man because of how the Bible describes him. Even though it says the beast rose out from the bottomless pit, which sort of suggests that he has some supernatural origin, but it makes sense, based on what the Bible says, to think of him as a man. Because the scriptures talk to, uh, refer to him as the man of sin, right? In another place, it calls him the man of lawlessness. And so, if you look at it, it's describing him as a man. How then do we merge the two? What makes sense is to see him as a man who will be supernaturally empowered by the devil, right? Almost thinking of it as literally the devil coming to live in him, like possess him. He will be a normal human being, but almost being energized, possessed, controlled fully by the devil. You getting me? And that is the Antichrist. 
will he be Satan's incarnate? Satan will energize and empower him. He will be his human instrument to rule the world. The next question I want us to look at is, will he be a homosexual? How many of us have heard anything about the Antichrist being a homosexual? Judah, you've heard something? You said that, uh, I heard something that he will totally like, make homosexuality like a normal thing. He will totally make homosexuality like a normal thing. He'll make homosexuality like a normal thing. Have you guys heard anything about the Antichrist being a homosexual? No. Oh, interesting. Now, there's a reason why um, that theory is floating around. Because in Daniel 11:37, the Bible says the Antichrist will not regard the desire of women. In another version, it says he will show no regard for the desire of women. Now, does that suggest that he will be a homosexual? Why do you shake your head, Anel? Because maybe he just doesn't want like, There's people that don't like anything. Right. There yeah, are people that just don't like anything. They, you know, it's a, the natural desire for women for a man to desire a woman, it's a natural feeling. You know what natural is, right? That's nature. It's, it's a natural feeling. It's not like weird for a man to like a woman. It's a natural feeling. What is weird is for a man to like a man, right? Isn't that, that's weird, that's unnatural. And so when he says the Antichrist will not have a natural desire for women, what it may mean is that, yeah, he just will not like women. What it doesn't say is that he will have a desire for men. It doesn't say that, right? It says he will not have a natural desire for women, but that does not imply he will have a natural, a, an unnatural desire for men. Like she's saying, there are people who just want to be by themselves. They're so busy with their career, so busy chasing the dollar, they have no time for married life, no time to be dating, to be in the ups and downs of um, falling in love. Okay? So, it seems best to explain that he will be intoxicated with so much power, military might, pursuit of conquest, that he will just have no time for women. Doesn't make sense to think of him as a homosexual. What is the nationality of the Antichrist? What is the nationality of the Antichrist? Yes, um, Irina? Is, okay, you're asking me a question? Okay. Um, so, you know, it's that like he has no desire for women. Uh -huh. So, is that like one of the characteristics which makes the Antichrist like be Jesus, I guess? Because Ah. Jesus was too busy like carrying out his mission for God that well, he, he didn't get a girl, I guess. He didn't, he didn't um, so, so <laughs> it's an interesting question so the question is um, his not having a natural desire for women is it, is it because he's having a connection or trying to be like Jesus you know Jesus never got married because he was so busy fulfilling his mission he never got married. 
We don't know what? That Jesus never got married? We do know that. Jesus never got married. And how do we know that? From the Bible, from outside the Bible, corroborating evidence from outside the Bible, tell us that Jesus Christ never got married. Okay? All the other stuff that is being written by Dan Brown, the Da Vinci Code, and all those stuff, if you put those documents that he's writing from through the same test that we put the Bible through, if you remember, those documents will fail. You would quickly, you would quickly pick on them as this is false, this is not true, this is somebody making up stuff. Okay? They, they, they've never gone through the test of documentary evidence. To, they don't even warrant being published, but you know, people just want to spread what they want to spread. So, the question is, was he trying to mimic Jesus in not getting married? Uh, not having a desire for women? Um, it's a tough question, but the easiest way to answer the question is, it may be that that's what may be in his mind, but I think what really is playing out is, the Antichrist knows he has a short time the Bible says, the devil knows that his time is very short. He wants to conquer the whole world, get as many people to hell as he can, right? Within a matter of seven years. And even in that seven years, the first half of it, he's busy trying to deceive the people, right? It's in the next half that he fully manifests himself for who he really is. So it's more like he just doesn't have time to be spending on family life. Do you get it? So it doesn't necessarily mean he will not be married. Who knows? He may be married. Can you close the door for us, please? It doesn't mean that he will not necessarily be married, but what it means is that he just won't have time for that kind of natural man-woman relationship. I think it's a different comparison when you come to Jesus. Jesus had a certain mission. Remember, Jesus Christ is God, okay? And Jesus, his relationship or in terms of marriage was to us, the church, the bride of Christ. And so he couldn't be married. Jesus couldn't be married to any woman. It's just not possible because he was already going to marry us, the body of Christ, the church. That's why he came to save us. You get it. So I think it's a different comparison, even though it may look similar. Did that answer help? All right. So what is the nationality of the Antichrist? Who knows? Who wants to take a guess? Someone from the Middle East. Someone from the Middle East. Uh huh. Who else? What do you What do you think, Nathan? You don't know. Hadassah. Hey, I have a $5 reward. For what? Qatar. For what? Hey, Qatar. Yes, Irina? Yes. Mixed? Mm. Interesting. Well, let's see. In Daniel 9.26, Anel, read for me. Who can see? Sarah. Okay, Nick. After the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. 
Amen. The people of the prince who is to come. So here, this is Daniel prophesying many, many years before the event happens. And he's saying after 62 weeks, and those weeks are actually 62 um, weeks of seven years each. Okay, how many, how many days make a week? Seven. seven. So in the Daniel's language, when it talks of a week, it's actually not a week of seven days, but a week of seven years. Okay, that, that's just um, Bible language. Okay, in Daniel's vision, when it describes weeks, it's talking of not weeks of days as we know it, but weeks of years. And so if you read earlier verses, he talks about from the time that there is a commandment given for the temple to be rebuilt will be 69 weeks or, or 62 weeks. One of them, I think, yeah, 69 weeks. And he's referring to 69 weeks of seven years. So if you do the calculation, it will tell you how long of a period he was talking about, right? So it will be 69 times seven years. And he talks about, I'll come to you, Nathan. He talks about that and he splits it into two, 62 weeks and then seven weeks. And Bible scholars have done the calculation and realized that from the time that there was a commandment, remember the temple of Jerusalem was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar when he conquered Israel. This is where in the Old Testament, okay? The temple was destroyed but then when Daniel and his friends were in captivity, remember at the time Nehemiah was also in captivity, there was a commandment given by one king called Cyrus in Isaiah 45. Cyrus gave a commandment for the captive Jews to return to their land to rebuild the temple. And that's how come the book of Nehemiah was written, where Nehemiah went there and he built the wall around Jerusalem. And after the wall was built, we had prophets like Haggai coming on the scene, if you, if you read the book of Haggai. And then in Haggai, it talked about Zerubbabel, right? If you read the book of Zechariah, it talks about Zerubbabel. All those people came to rebuild the temple. And after the temple was built, that was Daniel. That, that, Daniel was in, in captivity and he saw all that and he prophesied that the temple is going to be rebuilt. And he says, from the time that the temple is built, will be 69 weeks. Remember, it's weeks of years. And so Bible scholars have done that calculation from the time the temple was built up until the time of Jesus coming on earth was that 69 weeks of seven years. Okay? And in the book of Daniel, there is a silence. Daniel doesn't see anything about Jesus Christ and everything that he does on earth, up unto, including our time here. So everything about the New Testament church, he doesn't see it. And so there is a gap between the 69th week of Daniel and then the 70th week of Daniel. And that 70th week is the last seven years which we have been talking about that the tribulation is happening. Okay, and it is within that 70th week that the Antichrist 
would rise up. So when I say 70th week, I mean the week of seven years, right? Okay, Nathan. Yes. Okay. So, um, do you understand up to this point? Yeah. All right, good. You guys are good students. So here, the Daniel is prophesying and he's saying that, and the people of the prince says after 62 weeks. So he gives a specific time, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Okay? An anointed one shall be cut off. Right there, Daniel was prophesying about the Messiah. That anointed one was the Messiah. Anointed one, in, if you go to the Hebrew, it's Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one. Okay? So when he says, the anointed one shall be cut off. To cut off means to shorten, right? It's like to die suddenly. So he was actually prophesying about the sudden death of the Messiah. Even though the Jews never caught on to this. But that was what Daniel was prophesying about. You see the amazing thing about the Bible? So he says, after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. If you read Isaiah 53, where it talks about the death of Jesus, it talks about how he died not having anything. Right? He said he was rejected of men, despised of men. Like a lamb led to the slaughter is dumb, so was he among my people. Talking about Jesus. Cut off without anything. He died almost like having no inheritance. Nothing. Right? But then he says, after that happens, the people of the prince who is to come, the prince who is to come is a reference to the Antichrist. Okay? The Antichrist is to come. And then he says, the people... Of that prince. So it's making a reference to where the, the people of which the Antichrist belongs. Did you get it? If I say, the people of Ghana, from where I come from, will do this. Doesn't it suggest to you that I am Ghanaian? Right? So if you want to know who I am, where I come from, then let's find out who those people are from which that prince who is to come will come from. Following? So the people who is to come, they shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So the question is, who are those people that destroyed the city and the sanctuary? Now, this destruction of the temple is a second destruction. Remember, there was a first destruction. And Daniel said, from the time that the commandment is given for that temple to be built. So that temple was built already in by Nehemiah starting to build the wall, Zechariah coming in, Haggai, Zerubbabel, Joshua, not Joshua, the successor of Moses, but another Joshua. When you, and on all this, when you read the book of Nehemiah, Ezra, Haggai, Zechariah, it talks about all of this stuff, okay? And then they built the temple. By the time Jesus was there, Jesus came, that, that temple that they rebuilt was still there. But somehow, something happened and that temple was destroyed. In Luke 21, verse 5 to 7, can um, someone read for me? Gabriel, please read for me. Luke 21, 5 to 7.
be left here. One story upon another that will not be thrown out. I may ask him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be, what will be the sign that these things are about to take place? Amen. So this is Jesus. The disciples came to him, pointing to the temple that was rebuilt, right? Saying, look, this is magnificent, beautiful stones. It looked solid. Praising the temple. And Jesus said to them, as for these things that you see, referring to the temple, the days will come and the, when there will not be one stone left upon another. So Jesus actually prophesied that that temple was going to be destroyed completely to the ground. And that prophecy, he linked that to a sign of the end times. Because when he said that, the disciples quickly said, Teacher, when will these things be and when, what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? It was in answer to that question that Jesus actually began to talk to them about the signs of the end times. When he said, you hear of rumors of wars, famine, all those stuff that we linked up to the, the six seals, if you remember. Okay? Now, the question is, when was this prophecy fulfilled that Jesus talked about? The people of the prince to come in Daniel is saying they will destroy that temple. So who were those people that destroyed Jerusalem and its temple? It's known that the temple was destroyed in AD 70. Okay, Jesus Christ died around when? AD 33, right? That was when Jesus died. So just some years after Jesus died, the temple was completely destroyed by particular people. Who knows who destroyed the temple? Who? Yes, Judah? The Romans. Excellent. The Romans destroyed the temple. It was Titus and the Roman army that destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. So, by looking at what Daniel is saying, the Roman people are the people of the coming prince. And that is the Antichrist. Okay? Now... <laughs> What is interesting, though, is the Antichrist will be of Roman origin. And you see that I put Roman in quote. This doesn't necessarily mean that he will be Italian. <laughs> but that simply he will rise from somewhere within the reunited Roman Empire. Now, if, if you know anything about history, you will know that the Roman Empire spanned across Europe, the Middle East, or North Africa in the old Roman Empire. Right now, they are all independent nations having their own sovereignty. But according to the Bible, it makes us understand that there is going to be a revived Roman Empire where there is going to be some unity in that region. And out of that unity... The Antichrist will rise. Let's see what that Roman Empire then is. It's believed that he will rise from a confederation of nations. And Daniel and Revelation tell us that it will be a form of the old Roman Empire. Now, if you look at the map over there, you would see some part of Europe, some part of the Middle East, and some part of North Africa, so the part in orange corresponds to the old, the region of the old Roman Empire. So that means the Antichrist, it's very likely for him to rise from anywhere 
in that zone. Which one specifically, we don't know. <laughs> okay. But then we do know that he will rise from the old Roman Empire. Somewhere, Europe, maybe Middle East, maybe some part of North Africa. A great body of Bible scholars believe it will be somewhere from Europe because of what they are seeing with the European Union, which is almost a bringing together of the nations that formed the old Roman Empire, right? And so a great number of Bible scholars believe the Antichrist will rise up from some European nation, okay? But still, it doesn't rule out maybe some Middle East and some North Africa, which sort of leads us into the next question, because when you talk of Middle East, North Africa, what are the nations that are in North Africa? They are the Muslim nations, right? And Middle East, it's Muslims there. And so it leads then to the next question, which some people have asked, will the Antichrist be a Muslim? Will he be a Muslim? What do you think? It could be. It could be. Now, the reason why people have asked this question is because when they look at Islamic theology, okay, Islamic theology, in other words, Islamic teachings, are you all with us? Are you with us? Islamic teachings, Islamic teachings also talk about an antichrist and a messiah. Have you, is anybody aware of that? That Muslims have their own messiah and they also have an antichrist or an anti-messiah. Now let's look at their anti-messiah. They call him the Dajjal. And they believe he will be a Jew born in Iran. And all these are teachings from the Quran. That he will be born to parents who are childless for 30 years. He will only have one eye. <laughs> he will claim to be a prophet. He will claim to be divine. He, he will seek to be worshipped. He will deceive people by seemingly miraculous acts. He will conquer the world except Mecca and Medina. With a large army, he will reign for 40 days, each day being like a year. Now, do you see some similarities between this and the biblical Antichrist? Yeah. Uh, why is that? Who can tell us? Yes. Yes, the Messiah can't be a prophet. No, I don't get you. My question was, do you see some similarities between this? Oh, no. Similarities between this and the biblical Antichrist. And why? Why are there similarities? Yeah. If, if I give you a homework and you are supposed to be in different homes, but when Judah submitted his homework, there were sections of the homework that were word to word compared to what Jaden also submitted. What does it tell me? Judah cheated from Jaden. <laughs> Judah cheated from Jaden. <laughs> now, if we want to really know who cheated from who, 
And if there is a way to tell who wrote their paper first, then we can tell who cheated from who, right? Exactly. The Bible was written hundreds of years before the Quran was written. So by the time Muhammad was supposedly writing his vision that he got from an angel, the Bible was already written, including the book of Revelation. So it's not surprising that he talks about a Muslim antichrist, a Muslim messiah. He's getting all those ideas from the Bible, making some changes here and there to make it unique to them. But albeit he's stealing from the Christian teaching, just to confuse people. And that's why there are some similarities. Now look also at their Messiah. They call him the Mahdi. And the Mahdi is believed to be a descendant of Muhammad. He's also going to ride on a white horse. Remember the white horse in the book of Revelation? Where it talks of the Antichrist or somebody, a deceiver, riding on a white horse to deceive the world, to conquer. And in the Christian teaching, that is the Antichrist. But here in the Quran, it's presented as their Messiah. He will bring global deliverance from the reign of the Antichrist, the Dajjal. So it's almost like he's going to conquer the Dajjal. He'll conquer and slaughter the Jews. Dia Mati, Dia Messiah, is going to conquer and kill the Jews. Like, the actual word is slaughter. How do you slaughter? Right? And then he's also going to establish his headquarters in Jerusalem, and he's going to reign for seven or more years. Doesn't that sound like what the Christians teach as the Antichrist? Oh, okay. Right? But here he's being presented as the Messiah for the Muslims. And so as a result of this, some people have believed that the Antichrist is going to be Muslim. The Antichrist is most likely going to be what the Muslims will call their Messiah. Because the Muslims are going to receive the, the Antichrist as their Messiah because it seems to fit the bill. And the Christians are going to say, no, that is the Antichrist. And the Muslims are going to say, no, that is our Messiah because he's going to kill the Jews. Because according to the Bible, the Antichrist is going to kill the Jews. And the Muslims also believe the Antichrist is going to kill the Jews. But why I believe the Antichrist is not likely to be Muslim is because the Antichrist, from what we have just seen, is going to be a Roman. But even though in the revived Roman Empire, it does include some parts of North Africa and some parts of Middle East, there is still more evidence that there's a greater chance it's going to be Europe European because of how things are playing out now. But that is not even a strong point to believe that the Antichrist will not be a Muslim. There are other points that makes us believe he's not going to be a Muslim because the Antichrist, one of the things he's going to do is to establish a covenant with Israel for seven years. right? And it is not very likely that Israel would ever trust their security to a Muslim. Given everything that has transpired in the Middle East, who would all of a sudden throw down all their security just to trust in a Muslim who comes up and promises Israel, I'm going to give you peace? No way. It's like saying the leader of Iran all of a sudden has some revelation and begins to like Israel and say, no, I'm going to give you peace. Do you think Israel will buy that? No way. 
Why? Because Iran's leader is saying that he's going to wipe out Israel from the map. Last time in the news, they were warning Israel that our nuclear bombs are ready. They said, our hands are on the trigger. We just have to push it. And Israel will be gone out of the map. So there's, it's not likely that Israel will trust its security into the hands of a Muslim, whoever he be, and however he tries to convince them that he's going to give them peace. You following? And then lastly, a Muslim antichrist, remember, the antichrist is going to claim to be God. That will be in direct contrast to the Islamic creed. Muslims say, Allah is what? There is one God named Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. It is even blasphemy to think of Muhammad as God in, in Islamic religion. It's blasphemy to think of Muhammad as God. They see him as a prophet. He's not God. Much more, how much more the Antichrist. So for a Muslim to rise up and say, I'm the Antichrist, and then claim to be God, that would be blasphemy. Even the Muslims will not accept him as the Antichrist, as, as their Messiah. So it doesn't make sense to believe that the Antichrist will be Muslim. Do you agree? Let's move on. The mark of the beast. I'm sure you know quite a fair bit about the mark of the beast. Now, the word mark is, in the Greek, it actually means an engravement, something that is etched, okay? Something that's imprinted. So it's not something that's hidden. It's like a mark, a stamp, visible. Now, it is because it's etched, because it's like an imprint, it's not something that you can wash off. It's a permanent mark. It's not like I can get it today and I can erase it. It's a permanent mark that people who want to worship the Antichrist will get during the tribulation period. Okay? And why would they need to get it? Because without it, you cannot buy or sell. And the Antichrist had to bring that on because he needs to clearly draw a line between those people who follow him and those people who don't follow him. And see, right now, some of us sit on the fence, you know. It's not like I'm really into God, but it's also not like I'm really into the world. It's like I'm kind of in between, like in between. When it's fun, I step a little bit into the world. When it's getting too dangerous, I come a bit closer to the church. No, there are people like that now. Not during the tribulation. You have to declare your stand. You are either for God or you are for the Antichrist. So the mark is going to be a demarcating symbol that distinguishes those who will worship the beast or those who will worship Jesus. You following? In Revelation 13, verse 16 to 18, Belinda, read for me. Can you see? Sarah, can you see? Yes. Okay. He causes all, the small and great, and the rich and the poor, and the free men and them, and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he will provide, and he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell, except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him 
who has understanding calculate the number of beads for the number is that um, of a man in his number is 666. Right. The number of the beast is what? 666. 666. So the question is, why 666? Who can tell us? Why is his number 666? Myra, what do you think? Is the, yeah, why is that? Why, why is it not 676? Um, or... Two four eight. Why is it six six six? No idea. Yes, Anel. God created man on the sixth day. Uh huh. That's all you can say. But that's a really really strong point. God created man on the sixth day. The number six because of that. It, that God created man on the sixth day. Bible scholars and it's true in the Bible. The number six is the number of man. Okay? It's the number of man. And that six will be repeated three times. Three is the number of God. Remember the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so six being the number of man, being repeated three times, six, 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 suggests that the Antichrist is actually going to be a man who will claim to be God? You get it? He's going to be a man who will claim to be God. Okay? What that really reveals is that no matter what claims he makes, he is merely a human being. No matter how evil he seems, powerful he seems, he is still a human being. Now, I talked about this. The decision to receive this mark is irreversible. It's not like, right now, let me just go and make the mark, get the mark, but then after I'm going to repent and ask God to forgive me. There's nothing like that. You get the mark, your destiny is sealed. You are hell bound. You get it? And I'm not talking about you guys. It's none of you. I'm talking about other people. All of us are going in the rapture. Let those who believe say... Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. All right. Yes, Belinda. So does that mean that like the mark is not going to be like you know a stamp that you can wash off? It's going to be like you know something that like maybe they'll burn into your skin. Or yep. Like yep. It's not going to be something you can wash off. Never. It's going to be something like a tattoo. Yes. Yes, Irina. Sorry. What if the person who wants to be the antichrist doesn't want to be? Uh. When you don't have Jesus, you really don't have a choice because you already belong to the devil. You get it. So the devil can, Bible, Bible describes them as those who are used at his will. Whatever the devil wills, he uses them for. So it's not like they don't want, if you don't want to be them, be a Christian. But the devil will use whoever will avail himself. Yes. So what if, um, what if you like, you know, there's like going to be like facilities, right, where you take the mark. What if you like caught and then you're basically brought in and and and, and bound to take the mark by force? Yeah. No, that will never happen. They will never force uh, against your will 
to give you the mark. No. It will be a willful choice. Everyone will have the right to make a willful choice. You either take the mark or you don't. And if you don't take the mark, this is what we're going to put you through. Right? We're going to whatever. It's not like we'll catch you and bind you and put the mark on you by force. No, that will never happen. You will have to make that personal choice. Oh, I don't want to go through this suffering. Give me the mark. Then they will give to you. Because you will be responsible for your own destiny. Yes. So what happens if, like, you know, you're a parent and you take the mark so you can feed your children? Would your children have to, like, you know, receive the mark too? So it depends on the children you're talking about. So every child beneath the age of accountability will be taken in the rapture. Okay? Now, but then... Sorry? Okay. But then there, there still will be, during the tribulation period, there still be people getting pregnant. There still be people giving birth. Right? So there are still going to be children around. Now, for those who say, I am going to get the mark just so I can get stuff for my children, they are sealing their destiny for their own destruction. Whatever they do, because the child is a child, the child cannot make a decision being under the age of accountability that I want to go for the mark, right? It's the parent making that choice. Two um, points of view on that topic. One group believes that the decision of the parent affects the children, just like, just like um, the decision of a parent to believe in Christ affects the children. The Bible says, when I save one, I save the household. But I don't necessarily believe in that because even the unbelievers who have children beneath the age of accountability during the rapture, those children will be raptured, right? And so I, am, I, I lean towards believing that the children will not come under judgment because of the decision of their parents. But whenever the children get to the age of accountability to make that choice themselves that I'm going for the mark, that is when they come under judgment. You with me? Yes, Vanessa. Right. What is the age of accountability? Good question. There is not any firm age of accountability. It differs from person to person. Hello. It differs from person to person. The Bible says, to, you, to the one who knows what is right and does not do it, to him, to that person, it is sin. So, you could have an autistic person who is 33 years old, who really can't tell their left from their right, what is right, what is wrong, because their brain capacity doesn't allow them to do that, right? By God's judgment, that person is not accountable. So some of those people are going to be raptured. Do you get it? They are going to be mad people who are going to be raptured because they don't have the capacity to decide for themselves what is right, what is wrong, because their whole constitution is, doesn't give them that capacity. Do you get it? That's how fair God is. And, and there are those people, there are some who are seven years, they, they can do evil way more than people who are 50 would even think of. Right? 
they are above the age of accountability because they know what they are doing is wrong and they still do it. So there's not a firm age of accountability. It differs from person to person. Does that help? Now let's move on. So once you make the decision to take the mark, there is no turning back. It's like the unpardonable sin. You get the mark, your destiny is sealed. Revelation 14, verse 9 to 10. Jermaine, can you read for me? And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, pour full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. Amen. So once you receive the mark, you are going to drink of the, of the wine of God's wrath. No turning back. Now, those who refuse to receive the mark of the beast will be beheaded. Okay? There will be a consequence if you choose not to get the mark. And that consequence is what? Kaput. You will be beheaded. Let's read this scripture. Revelation 20 verse 4. Who wants to read for me? Yes, Joshua. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those of whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of, the, of those who had been beheaded, for the testimony of Jesus, of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Right. So those who had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands, what had happened to them? They had been beheaded. Okay? Any question? Let's move on. The purpose of the mark is to be a visible indicator. So not an invisible indicator. It's supposed to be visible. When you walk through the mall, everybody should be able to see the mark to tell where your stand is has to be a visible indicator of who you are devoted to. That is why the Bible clearly says it's going to be on your hand, the right hand, or on the forehead. Okay? And one of the purpose of a mark is for trade. The Bible says without the mark, you cannot buy or sell. It means you cannot run a business, and then you cannot benefit from other businesses that are being run. You can't buy or sell. Think of anything that you have that was not bought or sold. Can you think of anything like that that wasn't bought? Right? Everything you have, even if it wasn't your money, somebody bought it. I don't want to be there when that time comes. Only those who reject the beast will know eternal life, whereas all who take the mark of the beast will face the eternal judgment of God. How will the mark be put on people. Do you want to know? We don't know exactly what method the Antichrist. <laughs> we don't know exactly what method he will adopt to implement the mark. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on. But we do know, we do know that the mark will be on. You guys understand English language when we say on. Right? On is different from in. 
True? What's the difference between on compared to in, Judah? What's the difference between on? If I say the mark will be on your hand, as opposed to the mark will be in your hand, what's the difference? It's on the surface. In your hand means it's below the surface, right? On your hand means it's on the surface. It's visible. In your hand means it's below the surface. We may not necessarily see it. What does the Bible say? Where will the mark be? On the hand. On the forehead. Not in. Not something that's implanted, right? Something that's going to be on. It has to be visible. So it's not like what been peddling around like microchip or whatever. Yeah, whatever it may be, even if it's implanted, according to the Bible, it has to be visible on the hand. Do you get it? It has to be visible on the forehead. So when I walk through the mall, I don't have to go through a scanner before anybody can tell where my stand is. As I'm coming, people can see, yes, I worship the beast. Or no, I don't worship the beast. How will you escape if you don't go for the mark? You're going to be seen everywhere. It's not going to be easy. I don't want to be there. Okay? The tribulation and the mark. Now, during the tribulation, there will be war. Remember when we talked about the seals. When the third seal is open, the rider on the black horse, who has a scale in his hand, remember? When he went forth, there was famine in the world. There's going to be war. There's going to be famine. There's going to be death. With death, with multitudes of death resulting from war, comes what? Sicknesses and diseases. Imagine thousands of bodies dead in um, Toronto. How quickly do you think they can all be buried? I mean, the people that are mostly going to do the burial are the army people, right? And they are the ones going to be involved in the war. So majority of them are going to be killed too. So chances are, there's going to be diseases from rotten bodies. So sickness is going to be there. There's going to be shortage of food because the companies that make the food are all going to be bombed. The people that are working there, some of them would have been raptured. And the ones that remain would have been killed in the war. So it's going to be famine. So it's going to be a tough time. Now imagine in the midst of all this, there is the mark of the beast. You can't buy or sell. So it's going to be shortage of food. And you need a mark to buy or sell. The situation is going to be so worse that bread, a loaf of bread, is going to cost about a day's wages, which if you work it out from our minimum wage now, a day's wage is going to be about $100. Can you imagine buying a bread, a loaf of bread? Right now, so how much is a loaf of bread? Like $3 something for $100. Will you buy, if I'm selling bread, for $100? Right, if you can find it. So, because of the widespread challenges, famine, people will be motivated to receive the mark of the beast. In fact, you'll be seen like crazy if you don't go for the mark. Are you, are you, are you losing your, your mind? Why, why wouldn't you go for the mark? How are you going to survive? You have to get the mark. And that's going to be one of the motivations for people to get the mark. Now, there's talk about a cashless system, how right now, like, if you're like me, I barely carry cash. I like to use my card all the time because I, I used cash one time to go do grocery and the person took my money. Oh, 
I know I gave the person $100. After the person put the thing in the thing, he said, there's $20 remaining. I said, well, I gave you 100 He said, no, you gave me 80 Oh, seriously, I had to give another 20 There's no way I could argue. They have cameras. Right? I said, then I said, me, to do grocery with cash, you lie. <laughs> I'll use my bank card. Boom, beep, 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 beep. I'm done. You don't take my money. Right? Those are reasons why people like to use their bank card. Identity theft reasons, right, are going to rise up in a way that now people will want more secure ways to do transactions. And so there have been discussions saying maybe that's how the mark is going to be assigned, that in some form of a microchip, something that, or a card, the, the mark is going to be secretly put in the barcode system or secretly put in your PIN card number. No, it's not going to be like that. There's not going to be something secret. You have to decide for it, right? And it's going to be something visible. But then, how then do we talk about the cashless system? That system is sort of going to help the Antichrist in his control of the whole world. Because imagine, many, many years ago, where transactions were happening with money, where there was no bank card, and the prophecy was given that a time is going to come that if you don't have this mark, you cannot buy or sell. If we were living in those times when the prophecy was given, chances are people are going to say, that will never happen. All I have to do is to just store up cash, right? So that I can purchase with it. I don't have to get the mark, I still have money. Because people could never conceive of a time coming where you will not need cash to buy. That tells you of the integrity of the Bible. The Bible can predict things many, many years ahead before it happens. Before even people can think or invent something to do it. The Bible already talks about it. Yes, Judah? How does how that even work? Like, how currency work then? How does currency work? Um, you mean in the cashless system? Yeah, like take the mark of the beast, how much do you, how do you know how much you're paying? Like right, so, ha. So that's where people confuse the mark of the beast with the means of purchase, okay? When people say, oh, it's going to be a microchip, all your information is going to be on, and they say that's going to be the mark of the beast. I disagree because the Bible says without the mark, you cannot buy or sell. It doesn't say it's the mark that you will use the mark to, to buy. Do you, do you get what I mean? If I walk into the store, before they will sell anything to me in the store, they're going to look for the mark. But it doesn't mean I'm going to use the mark to pay. I may use my bank card to pay. But if I don't have the mark and I have a bank card, I still can't pay anything. I still can't buy anything. I still cannot sell anything. If I'm doing the application to, to register my business, they ask for the mark. Can we see the mark? If I don't have the mark, they don't sign the thing. I don't get any registration to run my business. But it does not mean I will use the mark to, to do the purchase. You get it? So that, but the, then the whole thing about the cashless system is still relevant because it will be an easy way for the Antichrist to track people in everything that they do. So there's a firm belief that gradually the world will move into a cashless system because that's a great way to track people in everything that they are doing. Right now, if I go and buy gas at Islington, and I pay with my bank card, and then I move from there to downtown Toronto, 
and I go to buy something at the convenience store and I pay with my bank card. And then I go to the bank and I go rob the bank. God forbid, not me. The police come looking for me. You know they can track me based on where I use my bank card? Yeah. They can track and be able to trace my movement through the city just because of my bank card. If I use cash, there's no way they will know where I passed. But they will immediately know by how I use my bank card from where I've gone. I've been here. I was at this gas station because I paid with my bank card. And even now, um, with us not even doing the strictly cashless society, they can already find you. Yeah. Right? Your cell phone. The cell phone that you're using is connected by satellite up in the air. Yeah. So all of you guys that have cell phones, they can look at it and tell that you're in Brampton right now. Yeah. Or you're in Toronto. And also the watches that you're wearing, the chips in them can also tell where you are. So, so all this system are happening because it, it has to be there to help the Antichrist to maximize his control of people. Okay? Have you ever called 911 before? Has anyone called 911 before on your cell phone? If, if you've done and you've listened carefully to whoever you are talking to, you, you can tell that they know where you are calling from. Immediately you call on your cell phone to 911, the operator sitting on his computer boop, 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 already has located where you are calling. So if you tell a lie, right there they know you are telling a lie because we can see you are calling from here. And that's how come when in an emergency situation, even if you are not able to talk, right, say you are hiding under the table, you can't talk, just dial 911 and leave your phone there. After some time, the police will come right there. Because you don't have to talk. They will immediately locate before they even try to talk to you or they've dispatched someone to come there to figure out what's going on. Okay? All this system is just basically to help the Antichrist control the world. I'm going to end with this. What you must remember about the mark. Nine things you must remember about the mark of the beast. Number one, the mark is in the future. It's not past. There are some people who believe everything about the mark of the beast and everything has already happened. No, it's not true. It's going to happen. Okay? It's in the future. It's ahead of us. Future could mean tomorrow. It could mean a week from now. It's in the future. The next thing is that the mark is a literal, visible brand. A mark or a tattoo. It's not something that's hidden. It's not like a chip that nobody will know. If I get them, even if I get it, nobody will know. I'll just secretly be walking around. No, no, no. It's going to be visible. Okay? It will be placed on the right hand or the forehead of people during the tribulation. The mark will be given as a sign of devotion to the Antichrist and as a passport to engage in commerce. Okay? A passport to engage in commerce. You have a passport to travel. If you have a passport to travel, but you don't have money to buy the ticket. Will you still get on the plane? That you have a passport doesn't mean you have the means to get on the plane, correct? But if you have the means to buy the ticket and you don't have a passport, are you getting on the plane? No way. So having the mark doesn't necessarily mean that is what you're going to purchase with. But you will need the mark before you can purchase. You get it? The mark will be the number 666. Six, six. 
or the numerical value of the Antichrist's name. Okay? Now, that second part is hard to tell. It's sort of um, coded in the Revelation book because we don't know the Antichrist's name yet. His name was not given, and he has not been revealed. By the time he's revealed, those of us who be raptured will be out of the scene. So those who remain, they could calculate the number the Bible describes to calculate the number of his name, whatever that number would be. So it's either 666 or the number of his name. Number six, those who are believers will be able to calculate the number and identify the Antichrist. So believers being those who were left behind, who later on believed, realized that, oh, everything that Pastor Cyril was saying was true. But uh, somehow I missed the rapture. God forbid, not any of you here. And then you determine that I am not going to get the mark of the beast, whatever it will cost. I will not get it. And then you're actually a believer trying to even convince people, talk to people. People like that, they will be able to identify the Antichrist because they would have known some of the things that we're talking about. We'll pick the Bible to read and study. They will know. And remember, even though the Holy Spirit's restraining force would have been taken away through the rapture, he will still be around to lead people to Christ, to lead people to believe. So those who believe will know the Antichrist and will be able to calculate the number of his name. Okay? Those who take the mark will be eternally doomed. No reversing it. No one can say specifically what technology will be employed to fulfill this prophecy in terms of implementing the mark. But what we see today certainly makes such a system not only possible, but very probable. Okay? And lastly, in spite of 666 association with evil, the number will be received by those who willfully reject Christ during the tribulation. You know, some people say, well, right now, even unbelievers, everybody knows 666 is associated with evil. So how is it possible that some world ruler is going to come up and be able to convince everybody to go for 666 when we all know this is an evil mark? But we're forgetting that the Antichrist is going to be an oratorical genius. He will know how to speak. He will be able to convince people in his speech. He is going to be a smart man to be able to deceive the whole world, to even take the mark in defiance against God. Because those who receive the mark decide that we will worship the beast. Are you following? Those who receive the mark, they will make that personal decision. We will worship the beast. We will worship the Antichrist. We will not worship God. And so it will be an act of defiance, an act of rebellion to go for the mark. And that is how things are going to be. All those who take the mark almost sign their soul to the Antichrist, to the devil. That we are going to stand with you. We are going to rebel against God. And people are literally going to believe that they can overcome God. That's how come they will follow the Antichrist. That's how come it will not be fun to be here because imagine being with such people around when you say you are not going to take the mark. You're going to be their enemy. They are viciously going to attack people who will not receive the mark. Amen. I want us to end here. We will pick it up. Oh, maybe I can just do this one. 
the final doom of the Antichrist. How the Antichrist will end up. Revelation 19, 19 to 21. Um, who will read for me? Myra. Can you, you can see? Courtney. Amen. So here he's talking about the end of the Antichrist. That he was thrown alive with the false prophet into hell. Alive. Okay? I think they are coming for me. Okay, no. So the final doom of the Antichrist, they will be thrown alive into the lake of fire and brimstone where they will be joined 1,000 years later by Satan. So who goes into hell before Satan? The Antichrist. The Antichrist and the false prophet, they are, because they are all human beings, right? They will not die. They will be caught alive and thrown alive into hell. And they are going to be there burning for 1,000 years before Satan joins them. Right? Because at the battle of Magidon, which happens at the end of the seven years, when we return with Jesus on earth, when the armies of Israel, the Antichrist would have gathered the armies of the world to go and fight the nation of Israel to annihilate the Jews. And just when the Jews are about to be overcome, we will come with Christ. And Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus will step his foot on the Mount of Olive. And when he does that, he will kill the armies with the word of his mouth. And the Antichrist and the false prophet, those two he will not kill. He will catch them alive and throw them into hell, alive. When that happens, because we have come with Christ, Jesus will set his kingdom on earth, where we will reign with him for 1,000 years on earth. There's, there's not going to be a time like it ever before, where you will see real peace, real order, righteousness ruling on earth. Some of us are going to be the, the presidents over nations, prime ministers over nations, right, ruling the world. And after that 1,000 years, the devil, because during that 1,000 years, the devil will be caught and bound up in a bottomless pit. After that 1,000 years, he's going to be released from the bottomless pit to then come and deceive people again in the world. Because when Jesus comes with us, right, it is not everyone who will submit to him. But the Bible says he will rule them with a rod of iron. In other words, people will be forced to obey God during that 1,000 years. But their hearts will still not have changed. And so after 1,000 years, when the devil now comes, he will be able to deceive them. Say, see, we can, we can overcome God. Let's rally ourselves together. We can fight and overthrow God. And he's able to deceive them. But then in the end, we'll talk about that. That's the final battle. He's able, God will defeat Satan and then throw him into hell. And hell will be carried and thrown into the lake of fire. 
Hell is different from the lake of fire. I hope you know that. Okay, we'll talk about all that. Yes, Belinda. I thought God gave everyone free will, so why would people be forced to obey God? Good question. We'll take it up next week. Okay? <laughs> we'll take it up next week. So now, but notice something very interesting. There were two people in the Bible who were not, who did not die but went to heaven. Who were those? Is it there? Yeah. Uh, Enoch and Elijah. And then we see here two people who also will not die but will be thrown alive into hell. Isn't that amazing? The, the, the connection in the Bible. I don't know what that means, but it does reveal something interesting. Two people who never died went to heaven and two people who will never die but go to hell. If I had to pick one of the two, I sure think I will pick going to heaven alive. But the final doom of the Antichrist is sealed. In Daniel 7.26, it says, The court will sit for judgment and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Amen. Yes, Belinda. So you see how, you know, when you die, you've got a new body to heaven. If Enoch and Elijah didn't die, what happened to the earthly bodies? What happened to Enoch and Elijah's earthly bodies? That's an interesting conversation. Um, a quick way to answer that... <laughs> A quick way to answer that is that it is for that very reason that makes many Bible scholars believe that the two witnesses in the book of Revelation are going to be Enoch and Elijah. They believe that they have to die somehow, and so they will have to come back on earth as the two witnesses who later on are killed by the Antichrist, even though they are resurrected again and go back up to heaven. So... That's, I say, interesting because it's an ongoing conversation in the biblical world. So then, like, you're not really spending eternity in heaven. You're just going to the 1,000 years. Oh, no. So after the 1,000 years, right, and then Satan is judged, then the whole world is judged. Well, that's where the final judgment happens. People are going to be judged and thrown into um, hell or heaven. That judgment is going to happen. The great white throne judgment, which really is not to decide whether you're going to heaven or hell. It's really to convince you that you deserve to go to hell. And then after that, the new heaven and the new earth are going to happen. That's where the heaven you're talking about is really going to happen. We will talk about all that. I don't want us to go into it. Let's end our lesson today. Okay. Yes, Nathan, are you asking in relation to that? Okay, so we'll pick it up when we talk about the final judgment and then the restoration of all things. Shall we pray? Shall we pray? Um, I want you to close your eyes. You see all these things that are going to happen. Next week we'll talk about who will be raptured. But I want you to pray right now and ask the Lord to help you not to be left behind. That when the rapture happens, you will be a part of it. Just pray. Thank you, Lord. We'll ask Myra to pray and close us. Our Heavenly Father in heaven, I pray that as we close our service, you may bless Pastor Cheryl for lessons he's given us and also bless him to continue to give us lessons on the end times to further educate us on what is to come for us. 
I pray for those who are unable to come, that they may also be blessed wherever they may be, and that God willing, next week they may come. I pray that as we're about to close the lesson, that you may keep whatever you learned in our hearts, and that next week we may be able to remember it and also further elaborate on what we've learned. I pray that you also bless the volunteers who have also come, that uh, they may be able to further help and educate us in the youth. Um, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.